Let me invite you to turn to Paul's letter to Titus. Although we'll be reading all of Titus 2, I will only be focusing on certain verses when we come back to Titus in November, because we're taking a month break, uh, and we'll have Jude in October. When we come back to Titus in November, we'll look at the relevant passages for women in the church, but this Lord's Day, we are considering men in the church, but it is good to hear the whole context of Titus 2. Before we hear God's word read, let's go, to, let's go to him again in prayer. Our wonderful God, great teacher, come before you depending upon that teaching. We pray that you would use this sound instruction to show us our hearts, to show us where we can grow in holiness, the holiness without which no one will see you, O Lord. Pray that you would cause us to see also the beauty of the grace that fuels all of our lives. Amen. Hear now the word of God, Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. may be seated. In my first year of teaching, many years ago, I was... A Spanish teacher. I know it doesn't look like it, but I was a Spanish teacher, and I was teamed up with a thoroughbred Mexican, Senor Gaxiola, or Gax for short. That was his name. He loved teaching. He loved his students. He loved being Mexican. And to show this young whippersnapper how useful Mexicans were to Americans, not that I needed to be convinced, but he apparently thought I did, especially in Arizona and California, where we were, at least in Arizona, he recommended that I watch a movie a day without a Mexican. Now, I do not recommend 
this movie. Let that be clear. It is bizarre, strange, odd, apocalyptic, and, and, all, and all that. It's not one that I can endorse. The whole idea in this movie is that one day, all of the Mexicans, the day laborers, suddenly vanished like a rapture. And everyone else was, do, was left doing the jobs they didn't want to do. They, had, uh, they were perfectly content with others doing. Oh, unquestionably, this is politically charged and even exaggerated for effect, but the point was made that Mexican workers, whether they were documented or not, are more useful to the stability of society than some would, would think. Now, we're not going to enter into that question here from the pulpit, but reading Titus 2 and the words to men, words to Titus for men, I thought, well, what about, what's, a, what's a church? What would the church be like without a man? Would that be a blessing? Would that be a curse? How would the church fare if there were no men? Would the absence of men be noticeable? Would their absence be missed? Sure, heavy things could be harder to move. Got to roll those tables. Yeah, we'd have less security. Is that it? Is that all men are good for, for their, their strength, their security? Would the church sing the song of Lady Gaga, who wishes that all the queens were on the throne? We don't want a church situation where there are no men in the church, where it's, it's in all women setting. That's not good for the church. We don't want a church situation where there is only one man in the church, a, a kind of one king overall, and, and all other men would be a threat to the right ordering of whatever that man has going for that congregation. We don't want that. We want men. We want a lot of men. We want more men than, on average, attend weekly services. At the same time, we certainly don't want lawless men. We don't want impure men. That is no good for the church. In fact, that's worse for the church. We don't want that. It's not mere men that we want, but it is redeemed men. It is lawful men. It is men of purity. It is mighty men, men of valor. And by grace, we have them. And by grace, we shall have more. Of this, we can be confident because Christ appeared to redeem men from lawlessness and for purity. Read again verse 2 with me. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Few things are worse for long-time Christians than being a baby Christian your entire life. Christ calls us to grow. He calls us to become more and more conformed to his image, to maturity. This is why Paul tells Titus, the focus here is to teach older men. These men must be instructed in sound doctrine. They must be instructed in sound doctrine so that they might be instructed to, in the more mature things of Christ. And these men are exhorted through Titus to demonstrate sobriety. 
They are to be level-headed, free of all excess, free of worldly passions, free of rashness. Paul uses this word to describe the conduct of would-be elders back in 1 Timothy 3. If you are a potential elder, you should be sober-minded. Shouldn't be flying at the seat of your pants. He uses this word as well to speak of the virtue of elders' wives. This is what they are to demonstrate. So we, we see even from just how he uses this word that though he is talking about how older men are to be, that's not just for older men. So if you're, if you're not a man, if you're a boy, if you're an adolescent, or if you are a woman, still the call for us all is, is to be sober-minded, is to be level-headed. Drunkenness is a good picture of what the opposite of the opposite of sobriety, of sober-mindedness. If you are drunk, you're out of it. You're not thinking clearly. You're not speaking clearly. Your spirit is slurred. Your speech is slurred. If you don't think clearly, you cannot live clearly. You know, one of the exercises that a police officer will have someone he suspects to be a drunk driver to do is get out of the car and to walk a straight line. I was asked to do this one night many years ago, though I was not drunk, but merely tired. Uh, But we wonder, if you cannot literally walk that line straight, if you're drunk, how can you, if you're not sober-minded, walk the straight, righteous path? You must be sober-minded. Titus is exhorted to teach the older men not just to demonstrate sobriety, but dignity. Older men must, in their actions, in their attitudes, be worthy of respect. They must even be serious. Again, Paul speaks of the dignity here required of deacons and their wives. So we see men and, and women are to demonstrate dignity as well. We cannot check out and say, I'm not a man, so this doesn't apply to me. Yes, Paul is focusing narrowly here on the older men, but all of us are to demonstrate dignity. We see already Paul's concern for the officers of the church and their wives to be exemplary in their character, exemplary in their conduct. Why? That God's name would be honored. Not that their name would be honored, but that the name of God would be highly exalted. In Philippians, Paul speaks of the honorable, the dignified, that all Christians should be considering as he encourages them to think about whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent. He does say, whatever is honorable, think about that. He doesn't want us simply to be thinking about it, but to be demonstrating that honorable character. He's not talking here about the dignity of the upper class being all prim and proper with no dirt in, on your nails. He's, he's not getting that kind of sense of dignity. Neither is he against those with a jovial or a humorous personality. Certainly joy characterizes the Christian. Certainly that must feature in the ways of his living. 
He has in mind those who are serious about the things of God, who do not play around with the word of God, who don't mess with it, who take it for what it is, and who practice it, who seek to practice the word of God in their day-to-day lives, who submit to the word of God. They alone are really worthy of respect. They alone are grave for their attitudes, their actions show a submission to the glorious Christ who is worthy of all honor, who took his Father's words most seriously, who depended upon every word that proceeded from his Father's mouth. That's the honorable thing to do. Older men are to be taught to demonstrate mastery, being self-controlled. They are to be sound in their minds. They are to be spiritually sane. Again, Paul uses this language to speak of elder qualifications. If you're not self-controlled, you have no business being considered to be an elder. Not to say that you couldn't one day be considered. We can grow in our self-control, in our self-mastery, or rather being mastered by the Word of God, by the Son of Man. He uses this word as well of older women. In Titus 2, in the same passage that we, we read, prudence is the, a, is, is, is the way of the aged. If we could say that the toothpaste were the, the life of an individual, you know, those who've squeezed out every ounce of life of their age, maybe be a blessing to everyone, be a blessing to the church. They've maximized their chronology, their longevity as they submit themselves to the word of God. They are allowing the word of Christ to control them. They're allowing the compassion of Christ to control them in all they're doing. Older men are, again, exhorted to demonstrate fidelity, to demonstrate soundness, being sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. As I mentioned last week, Paul loves this idea of soundness, of spiritual health. And you remember I exhorted you last week to look at all the terms, that, all, the, all the instances that Paul uses to speak of soundness, health. It's a big theme in this short letter. To be sound in the faith, older men are to have a healthy trust in the Lord. They're to be sound in love, demonstrate a healthy love for other people. Sound in steadfastness. They are to exemplify a healthy perseverance in the faith. You know, you know one when you see one. You look at them in this congregation, you say, yeah, he has trusted in Jesus. Oh, do you see how humbly he loves his brothers and sisters? You see how firm he is in the faith, despite all that has come his way. You see how he was faithful to the Lord, even in the loss of his, of his beloved, his, his child, of his, his wife. He was firmly fixed. He has firmly fixed his eyes on Christ. We have many, we have examples even here of this kind of soundness. In a word, older men are to follow the Son of Man, 
whose faithfulness to his Father is a motivating encouragement to all of us Christians. But we must ask, why does Paul single out, single out older men here when it comes to growing immaturity? Well, Calvin hits the nail on the head here. He says, older men are not easy to teach. And because having lived in the world, they think they have nothing more to learn, they grow proud and ill-disposed to God. Not easy to teach. Perhaps that's not true in your case. I think Calvin is hitting on a generality here. I remember being dismissed because of my age. When I spoke of my concerns to an older man, a minister in fact, about another man that he was working with, I knew the two, and I had a sit-down with one of these men, sharing concerns I had about the other man. And it's not that I was 18 at this time. I was in my late 30s this time. Thought that he was going to take the matter seriously, but soon discovered that I was quite mistaken. Shared with him humbly just what I saw and the problem that I saw if this man wasn't checked. And the guy who I was speaking with simply said, thank you, but you're just too young to know what you're talking about. It was quite plain. Like, well, okay, I, I didn't think I was too young to identify these concerns, but I did what I could do. This older minister, probably 15 years my senior, he would not hear what I had to say because I was not old enough. He refused to be taught. If you're an older saint, especially as an older man, as seen highlighted here, you must heed the wisdom set forth by your eternal Lord. Remember, these words are for the right ordering of the church. We've already seen the necessity of the appointment of godly elders for the right ordering of the church. And here we have just the normal way of Christian living. We need to have older men who are examples. Older men who are submitted to the word of God. Who hear the sound instruction. Who receive the rebuke. Who receive the correction. Who allow themselves to be trained for godliness. To be trained to renounce ungodliness. The call is for all of us to submit to that instruction. Do not think yourself too old to learn from God as he speaks through men, ministers, even young ministers. Too often, a local church has the the problem of a young minister, the blessings and challenges of a young minister, perhaps one who's just straight out of seminary, who hasn't had a previous pastoral call, and the congregation says, yes, this is our guy. And they call him. Presbytery examines him. They make their vows. We're good to go. And he gets up in the pulpit. He, he starts preaching and starts bumping shoulders with people. He starts analyzing where the, the strengths are in the congregation, where the weaknesses are, and he's trying to perhaps bring revitalization or bring necessary correction that that church might be 
conform to the mature Christ. And too often, that minister won't re- well, he won't be received warmly because he's he's too young. Of course, he has time to grow. He he's going to make mistakes. Too often it is the case that he is just too young to do any good. And this, of course, contradicts the congregation's own vow-making that they would support and submit to that teaching. We ask, who are we with our threescore and ten compared to the Ancient of Days, whose wisdom is ancient, whose wisdom is eternal? An old dog may not be able to learn new tricks, but you are not a dog. You're a son of God. And who knows whom the Lord will will bring as the next associate pastor. This is one of the reasons I chose Titus, is to again remind us of the foundation of right church order in anticipation of that next pastor. Who knows how old he's going to be? Will he be straight out of the seminary? I don't know. Will he be an older man? I don't know. I don't think the search committee knows at this point. But will we receive what he has for us as the word of God? It's a question that we must ask ourselves week after week. It's a question we must ask ourselves as every time we come to the Lord's word. Will we be taught? Will we be rebuked? Will we be corrected? Will we be trained? That's, this word of God is the basis for the sound doctrine, for change. As the pastor and the elders teach what accords with sound doctrine, they are giving you the very foundation for spiritual maturity. Will you hear it? Will you disregard the younger elders because of their age, chalking the counsel up to inexperience? Well, how can he teach me anything? You know, he's not even 40 years old. He's not lived long enough. Will you deny the Scripture's authoritative instruction and and righteous rebuke that accompany a daily meditation of the sound wisdom of the Word? Will you submit yourselves daily to this inspired, infallible, authoritative, sound teaching? If the teaching that you receive is based on Scripture, then receive it as coming from the Word, coming from God, regardless of the messenger. Do not shoot the messenger because he is a youngin'. Because you're vintage. One of the, I guess it was initially strange, one of the strange things that I noticed when I, moved, I made the move from Arizona to North Carolina is that at places that sold food and drinks, there was posted a sanitation rating. You guys have seen these? It's a percentage of how, they, how clean that particular establishment is. And I always make a point when I see 100, I say to the employee, congratulations on the sanitation rating. Like, first things first, before I order, I acknowledge it, and I want you to know I see it. Well done. And I hope it stays that way when you get examined again. But we can't say that of every single establishment. I've seen some in low 90s. That's not bad. 80s? I think I've seen a 78 before. Not good. It's passing. But there's room to grow. It's, it's not entirely sane. It's not entirely healthy and sound. 
It doesn't matter where you go here. Flip the pages, go to a verse, whatever. It will always be sound. It will always be for the good of your spiritual health. We must submit ourselves to this sound teaching. We see sound teaching enfleshed, exemplified. That's what Paul calls Titus to do in verses 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Titus is to make sure that his conduct leads to the way of life. As he imitates Christ, he becomes a lively, earthly example of godliness among sin. Remember, he is ministering in a context of Crete, reputation, a name that is not a good name, as we've seen already. As the appointed God, the others are set up from town to town. The whole of Crete will, Lord willing, have innumerable examples of men who are devoted to truth, to love, to, to holiness. Oh, look to Christ, older men. And indeed, all the sayings of the Lord, look to Christ as your primary foundational example of sound doctrine enfleshed, sound doctrine exemplified. Never go a day without looking at Christ, saying, Christ, how do you want me to live? Lead me in your righteousness, O Lord, through your word. But by God's grace, he has given us other men as well to lead us. Look to men of old who have traversed the way to the kingdom and have done so with godly zeal. Consider the lives of Abraham and Jacob, and Joseph, Moses, David. Uriah the Hittite, Elijah, Paul, Titus even. Consider their lives. Oh, you will see many weaknesses. Oh, you'll see many sins. Do not imitate the bad. Imitate the good. Imitate what you see in them as commendable. Look to the men in your own lives who have set an example for you. Just before I, before I came into the worship service uh, in the sanctuary here, I got a text from my former pastor um, in Arizona. He was rubbing into my face that the Giants lost to the Diamondbacks, and he said it was a great game, and I didn't care for that comment. But I did, I did care for that face. I saw that face in the text. Oh, what a reminder to me of a man that the Lord has used significantly to minister to my life. Look to the men here. Consider their ways. Follow them. Walk in the light as, as they are walking in the light. And men, do not hide your light under a bushel. No, you show them. Show the way. Show the way to the younger men. Consider the lives. We have an embarrassment of riches in this congregation of, of godly men. Let us use them for the glory of the name of Christ. 
And if the older men are to grow in mature things, Paul has in mind one thing for the younger crowd. This one thing is, as far as Paul is concerned, the main thing that must now be heard. It is in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Calvin says that if the older men are tempted to ignore wisdom because of their longevity on earth, the younger men, quote, are persuaded that they will live a hundred years after their death. Such is the, the mindset of the young. And because of this sophomoric sense of invincibility, I, I, I'm not going to die. They, they give themselves to vanity. They give themselves to worldliness. Why not eat and drink and be merry? For tomorrow we still live. The young don't die. There's no death for the young. Again, how foolish a mentality that is. Our own experience knows that's not to be true. But listen to Thomas Brooks' words to young men. Well, young men, remember this. The frequent, the serious thoughts of death will prevent many a sin. It will arm you against many temptations. It will secure you from many afflictions. It will keep you from doting on the world. It will make you do much in a little time. It will make death easy when it comes. And it will make you look out betimes for a kingdom that shakes not, for riches that corrupt not, and glory that fadeth not away. Therefore do not, oh, do not put the day of death far from you. That sounds like a downer, doesn't it? Always think about death. The young might object, but we've, we've only just begun to live. Why think of death now? Why rain on our celebration of life parade? That's simple. You're not promised another breath. Just because you're young, you're young doesn't mean you get to live to 80, 90, 60. It is wise to have ever before your eyes the hatefulness of your sins, the allures of the world, oh, and the glories of Christ. And you get those when you think rightly about your own frailty, about your own death. I know that in our context, we, we don't like to think of death. We do anything we can to throw that out of our minds. But it is good to be in the house of, of mourning. It's good to think about our own dependence on the Lord. One day we will die. And that certainty should affect how we live today. Will we, as older men, as, as younger men, as, as women, will we seek to renounce ungodliness? Will we seek to be more like Christ? Will we depend on his word daily, his mercy daily? Now Paul's exhortation to young men here to be self-controlled has wide application. Young men, by working on self-control now, you are creating the very habits of holiness that Paul calls the older men to practice and model. You are then becoming wise before our eyes. You are becoming wise before your years if you seek to demonstrate self-control even now. 
which means you can become like a wise old man, young. You don't have to wait to be old to be wise. In fact, if you wait to be old to be wise, will you be wise? That's foolish. Must do the work now. Must strive now. Must depend now on the grace of God. Must be controlled by Christ in all that you do. With your spiritual disciplines, controlled by Christ, you study his word and you pray to him daily. You don't go a day without depending on the word of God. You say, I must pray to the Lord. I depend upon praying to the Lord. I need his counsel. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his patience. You demonstrate self-control with your schoolwork. Controlled by Christ, you do all of your assignments to his glory. And yes, even the essay questions, you do those to the glory of God. With your job, controlled by Christ, you work heartily unto Christ your Lord every minute. Even when your boss is not around, even when your boss does not see you, you are not working for your boss, you're working for your Lord. With your time controlled by Christ, you manage your time to maximize productivity, to maximize fruitfulness. With your parents and with your siblings, you controlled by Christ, you honor your parents as Christ did his. You love your siblings as Christ did his. With your money controlled by Christ, you honor, you save and you spend on wise things. With your vehicle. If you have one, controlled by Christ, you do not need to drive like an animal. That's not wise. Nobody's impressed. You can go very fast and do a couple wheelies and all that. With your anger, controlled by Christ, you use good anger to attack the real conflict that will come your way. With your eyes controlled by Christ, you make a covenant with your eyes that you might not sin against the Lord. With the ladies controlled by Christ, you treat your sisters with all purity. In a word, you are so controlled by Christ because he is your redeemer. He is your king. You don't do this that you might be put in the good graces of the Lord. That the Lord is pouring out his grace into your heart by his spirit. And he's saying, I want you to be more like me. I want you to be more self-controlled. I want you to have that mastery. I want you to have that dignity, that fidelity. You must then every single day trust in me. Depend on my word. Depend on me in prayer. He didn't redeem us that we would live a life of debauchery, of insubordination, of gluttony, of, of falsehood, but of faithfulness to him. And elders and fathers, we cannot chalk up our young men's folly to the season of their lives. We, we must not ignore or excuse their faults simply with, well, boys will be boys. Yes, boys will be boys. And yes, we must bear patiently with them, but we're not raising boys to be boys we're raising boys to be men, and not boys to just be men, but to be godly men. 
And they're, they're headstrong. They're stubborn. And you know your children better than the next person does. And so use your parental wisdom to get the wisdom of the Lord through to your child. You are accountable to the Lord if you close your eyes to their sinful stupidity. Use the God-given authority in the home and in the church for their good, even if they don't think it's for their good. This also then means that we must examine ourselves and whether or not we are so controlled by Christ that we have any example to offer, any, any counsel to offer. We must go before the throne of grace just as much as they need to. Leading someone is a weighty matter, and we depend on Christ just as much as they depend on Christ for our godliness. Do not think that you can lead your child with simply the wisdom of man. That will fade. You need the wisdom of the Lord. You need the grace of God. That's what fuels the fire of godly zeal to grow in all maturity. It is this old grace, but this grace is a lively grace. It is an aged grace, but it is youthful. It's full of life though it is ancient, because it comes from the ancient of days. This wisdom never fades. It's always emboldening us, always enlivening us, always indwelling us. To do what? To renounce ungodliness. Verse 12, training us, You see in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. By grace, we all, male, female, old, young, by grace and grace alone, we can renounce lawlessness. God in Christ has appeared to save us from a land of unclean lips. In this present age, then, we are so amazed And our hearts are set ablaze with this grace that we put away sinful, worldly passions and we can put on self-control as the Spirit indwells us. We say no to being controlled by our sin and the pleasures of the world and we say yes to being controlled by our Savior and the pleasures of His Word. God has given you His meat, His drink, His bread of life that you might put away longing for the world's bread, that bread of anxious toil. You do not need it. God's grace is enough to avoid it, to say no, to resist the devil that he might flee. It's grace for renouncing, it's grace for resting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By grace, we all, male, female, old, young, we rest and we wait for our blessed hope. Just as God in Christ has appeared to redeem us, so too shall he appear to raise us. Praise be to God. In the intervening years, between the first and second comings of Christ, we wait and we rest, knowing that the temptations of the evil one and the world will not ever truly satisfy our heart's longings. We rest in the one 
who is perfectly sober-minded, even as we seek to have the mind of Christ. We rest in the one who is truly honorable, even as we think on whatever is honorable. We rest in him who alone is spiritually healthy, even as we renew our minds in Christ Jesus. We rest in him whose name is faithful, even as we follow him in faithfulness. We rest in him who was perfectly controlled by the love of the Father, even as we control and take captive all of our living to the obedience of Christ. God has given you his meat and drink, his bread of life, that you might rest in this life and so be satisfied. May the merciful God who has appeared to us all move us and kindle in us this flame of love for Christ our King. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. We see through this word, Lord, a weighty calling, not just for older men or younger men, but for all Christians, Lord, to demonstrate fidelity and and dignity and sobriety, mastery, self-control, Lord. We see these things, and we acknowledge before you that we cannot do any good thing apart from Christ the vine. Pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would continue to pour life through us branches that we might bear fruit in keeping with repentance and the glorification of the name of Christ. Amen.